brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Strangeology Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Warren, and this is your place to explore the weird, the strange, the unexplained. From cryptids and creatures, the paranormal, aliens and UFOs, forbidden knowledge, ancient mysteries, conspiracy theories, and more. So, hey, welcome back to the show, everyone, and happy Halloween. Coming up on today's episode, I've got a special treat for y'all. Uh, stories of haunted forests, pigmen, grizzly murders, and much more spooky high strangeness. So this is going to be my season two finale, and I have got to say this has been a really fun season of the show. I covered a lot of big topics from Rendlesham Forest, the Phoenix Lights, Roswell in the uh, UFO camp, uh, as well as ancient giants, Tartaria, the Hollow Earth, Dogmen in Maine, and I also get in a bunch of really awesome interviews. So it was a really fun time. And also, quick apology if my voice sounds a little more gravelly today. I'm just getting over a cold uh, that I had over the weekend as I'm recording this. <laughs> so I'm not sure uh, when I'm going to be able to start working on season three for the show, as I have a bunch of things going on in early November. And I also have to prep for CryptidCon in Kentucky, which is only like three weeks away at this point, I think, <laughs> which entails me looking through what I have left over of uh, merch from the last event I did in Whitehall and uh, restocking. But I also plan to bring along some new merch. I'm going to be printing the new Braxy shirt design that I did a, a month or two ago. So I'll have that available at CryptidCon. And I also just did a kind of a soft announcement as I'm recording this of a new Braxy enamel pin design that says maintain your strange. Uh, and that came in the mail yesterday, which I'm really excited about. So I'm going to be getting that listed in my shop really soon. And I will also have um, a collection of those with me at CryptidCon in a few weeks. Uh, so yeah, super fun. And um, yeah, it's, it should be listed on the shop by the time this episode drops. And then there's the holidays, which always gets crazy and a baby due at the end of December. Uh, so I'll be pretty tied up and on uh, a little bit of a paternity leave while we adjust to uh, the new addition in our lives here at Strangeology HQ. I'm still hoping to be able to drop some shorter form content while the show is on break. And I do have a brand new top five cryptids video that I'm going to be releasing over on my YouTube channel, hopefully the week after this episode airs. So definitely 
keep yourselves apprised over on the channel and uh, make sure you catch that when it drops. It'll be a fun one. So throughout January, it'll probably be touch and go, but hopefully I'll be able to lay some groundwork for season three and, and planning and stuff. But yeah, I'm going to try to keep up the best I can. Other than that, that's pretty much uh, all of the updates I have. If you're in the area, definitely come out to CryptidCon if you're not too far from Lexington, Kentucky, or you like to travel. It's being held at the Clarion Conference Center on November 19th and 20th. There's going to be some really rad speakers there like Ben Hansen, Miriam Mayer, Cliff Berrickman, Mark Marcel, Mark Muncy, Matt Pruitt, Micah Hanks, the Mountain Monsters crew, and uh, Chris Williams from Ghost Hunters, I guess, is going to be there as well, which is pretty cool. So they have a, a special guest too, Dacre Stoker, who is the great grandnephew of Bram Stoker, the guy who wrote Dracula. So that's going to be pretty, pretty wild. There's also going to be a killer lineup of vendors. I have a table there. Obviously, so if you're there, come say hi. But there's also going to be great artists and creators there like Small Town Monsters, Easton Hawk, Map in Black, Liz Pavlovic, Sherwin Sketches, The Hodag Store, Wild and Weird West Virginia, Other Side Prince, and a bunch more. All right, well, why don't we just get into today's episode? Since it's Halloween, I figured I'd bring you all some weird and spooky stories from the world's most haunted forests. So let's get into it. So the first place I want us to visit is a quick story compared to the others. This takes place in a forest 10 miles out of Siler City in Chatham County, North Carolina. And it's this place just off the main road and there's a path leading out to this 40-foot circle of forest that's completely barren. Nothing grows there except for a wiry grass. And according to the local legend of the area, it's said that Satan himself frequently visits this area at night when he's going out for a stroll. And when he arrives to this circle, he paces around it, planning out, his next evil deeds against mankind. And it's thought that his walking around it and like how hot his feet are, it like burns the vegetation. And that's why it's been kept so like lacking of trees and other plants for as long as people can remember. Now, for years, people have tried to plant grass seed and other plants there, but nothing seems to really grow in the spot, apparently, even when it's marked and the area is filled with obstacles and signs saying to keep off. Uh, but the next day, apparently, all of these obstacles will be knocked over or removed from the circle entirely, like some force has <laughs> moved it out of the way, which is interesting. I'm sure there's some human activity that could probably easily explain that, but uh, there are a bunch of other theories about this this place, the Devil's Tramping Ground, as it's become known as. Other theories suggest that it may have been a spot where Native Americans held ceremonial dances. 
or that it was the battle site between two rival tribes where the ground was so soaked with blood that nothing would ever grow there again after the battle. And one of the theories that goes along with this says that the losing tribe's chief was named Croatan, and he was buried there. And there's this idea that the spot could be connected with the lost colony of Roanoke. And it could be possible that this losing tribe called themselves the Croatoan and that they wound up fleeing and made it all the way out to the Outer Banks uh, where they reestablished themselves. And this is where the Roanoke colony or the lost colony was established in 1587 by the English, and they started having interactions with the indigenous people there. This was actually the second attempt to establish a foothold in North America after the first one failed three years prior. And if you remember the history or are familiar with the story of Roanoke, John White, who was in charge of the expedition, wound up sailing back to England for supplies and got sidetracked for a couple of years uh, due to the Anglo-Spanish War popping off for a couple of years. And he didn't make it back to the Roanoke colony until 1590. So when he arrived, he found that the 110 to 120 or so settlers had vanished without a trace. There was really no explanation as to what had happened. The community buildings were all abandoned, and the only thing of significance that White found that could have been a clue to where the colonists went to was the word Croatoan that was carved into the palisade stake of the colony's perimeter wall. And Roanoke could be its own episode, <laughs> like on theories about it, what happened to these people and all that even some high strangeness surrounding it. But it is interesting that there could be a potential connection with uh, this place that's called the Devil's Tramping Ground. And those aren't the only theories. Some believe that this was the spot of a UFO landing at some point in the past and that the radioactive energy emitted by the craft permanently scorched and killed all the vegetation on the ground where it landed. And even beyond that, there are people who think that there might be some kind of crystalline energy vortex underground there as well, and that's why nothing grows there. Now, today the Tramping Grounds has become a bit of a tourist spot and is frequented by visitors and investigators alike as well as people looking to have a good time and party. So perhaps the circle remains barren of vegetation these days because of all the human activity that happens there and not the devil himself or a UFO or some other kind of paranormal thing. It's open all year round and you can actually book a stay there if you're camping. I think it's it's open to visitors like eight or nine to five o'clock but if you want to camp overnight you have to make a reservation like uh, most campsites i believe so that is the story of the devil's tramping ground now i picked up a copy of this book true ghost stories 
Real Haunted Woods and Forest by Zachary Knowles, uh, which covers a plethora of different stories about haunted forests. So I picked a few of my favorites from this list, and his book is is more of like a cursory overview of several spots in the world. And I also had to kind of cross-reference some stuff with articles from blogs like Atlas Obscura or the Unidentified.net in a few cases. So the uh, the first haunted forest beyond the devil's tramping ground that I looked into is this place called Canuck Chase in England. And this is a real interesting spot. So this place has a reputation of being kind of like the Skinwalker Ranch of the UK and all sorts of mystery and high strangeness has been reported there over the years uh, from paranormal activity to werewolves, big cats, pigmen, black eyed children, UFOs, and even a series of murders that happened back in the 1960s. The Chase, as locals refer to it, is located within Staffordshire County and was officially established in 1958 as an area of outstanding natural beauty. So this covers this 26 square mile area of forest in the heart of the Midlands. And it's actually a former royal forest and then became this kind of like state forest type of thing. And you can find it between the towns of Canuck, Litchfield, Rugale. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Rugale or Rugale and Stafford. And it can be seen from the M6 highway as you're driving northeast from Birmingham. And it's this totally picturesque place filled with beautiful forests and hills and moorland. And if my research into this kind of stuff before is any indication places like this are often magnets for the strange and unexplained, right? Now, archaeological and geological surveys have found that the bedrock underneath the forest is comprised of a conglomeration of Triassic-era sandstone, and that this area is home to several prehistoric burnt mounds, which are thought to have been used for bathing, cooking, and stuff like salt production. And about 2,000 years ago, a people known as the Cornovi inhabited this area. And this was a pagan group of about two to three tribes, and their name translates to people of the horned devil. And the horned devil, or god being that they worshipped, was named Serunos. And the Cornovi were very devout in their beliefs. And they were also a very simple people that uh, were farmers and hunters. And by the time that Rome had made it to the British Isles, there were Roman Catholic priests and, and missionaries that worked to eradicate the pagan religious beliefs of the area. And it was viewed that Serunos, the horned god of the Cornovi, was the devil himself that they were were worshiping. So this whole culture was pretty much eradicated once Christianity came in. Now, this area is also interesting because back in 1903, there were a series of cattle mutilations that were being reported. And this is something that's often associated with UFO activity 
But there was actually a suspect who was found and locked up, a man named George Adalji, who was an Indian national. Now, apparently the evidence supporting this was incredibly weak, and the authorities, I'm sure, were looking for a scapegoat and, of course, blamed the non-English person uh, because racism, right? Uh, So as it turns out, the mutilations continued to happen after Adalji was incarcerated. How about that? There's also signs of medieval era coal mining and even a World War One model battlefield in this forest that was built by German prisoners during the war. Many of these Germans were captured after being shot down over the UK and wound up being sent to the chase to work. And many of them were said to have died from not receiving enough medical care to treat their injuries. So in 1969, a cemetery with about 5,000 graves of all the German POWs from World War I and World War II was completed, and allegedly this cemetery has a high amount of paranormal activity going on, where people have claimed to see apparitions, they hear disembodied voices, and there's even a, uh, a big phantom black cat that has been seen stalking the area. So there's quite a bit of deep and interesting history into this place already, which I think could be a root cause of some potential paranormal happenings. Now, we're going to get grisly with this next part, so content warning ahead of time for child murder. Skip ahead a couple minutes if you don't want to listen to this part. So between 1965 and 1967, the remains of three young girls were found in the chase uh, sometime after they had been reported missing between the A34 road in Birmingham. These were known as the Canuck Chase murders or the A34 and Babes in the Ditch murders as the girls were between the ages of five and seven. And it's a very, very tragic story. But after an ongoing investigation and massive manhunt, The authorities finally arrested this man named Raymond Leslie Morris, who was a motor engineer, in 1968 after he was attempting to assault and claim another young victim. He became known as the Canuck Chase Monster, and it's thought that he may have been responsible for additional murders as well. Morris was convicted in 1969 for the murder of the third victim, who was named Christine Ann Darby. And for some reason, he was never charged with the first two murders. But based on the evidence, uh, law enforcement were convinced that he was indeed responsible for all three. And thankfully, he remained incarcerated for 45 years up until his death in March 2014. So again, there's a lot of really deep history here. A lot of unsettling history, too, for sure. Now, the... Canuck Chase is also allegedly a UFO hotspot that's full of sightings and even instances of supposed alien abduction. In 2009, a man named Mark was taking a leisurely stroll through the Canuck Chase woodland area at night with a couple of buddies after they left the party. Everything seemed normal until they all saw a bright flash of light in the sky above and they heard this loud bang like a sonic boom or something and 
They could just feel it in their chests. Apparently, in that moment, Mark and his two friends were completely paralyzed and they couldn't move for over a minute. Now, the story goes that when the two friends came to and were finally able to move, Mark was nowhere to be found. That is until six hours later when Mark turned up three miles away in his friend's garden, blankly staring at the sky. Now, Mark apparently claimed that he couldn't remember anything between the flash and bang in the chase and then being at his friend's place almost instantaneously in his mind's eye. Now, in classic alien abduction fashion, Mark slowly started to get little snippets of memory coming back to him. First, he remembered being restrained on this examination table, and another memory started coming back of this shadowy figure whispering some unearthly language to him. And when he was able to finally start remembering some of the details, he could see that this entity was dressed all in black and had these bright yellow eyes and sharp white teeth. And he said he could just feel an evil emitting from it. And so this is an interesting story because it's not your typical gray alien creature that's performing the uh, the deed of the abduction. Uh, this time it's something else. Now, this is an anecdotal story and not really able to be corroborated beyond witness testimony. Uh, <laughs> so take that with what you will. There's another case that took place in May of 2002. This man named Andrew supposedly was driving around the Canna Chase area around 9 p.m. And as he was driving, he heard this constant sound of something like a bomber plane above his car. And it never moved on. It just seemed to be kind of like hovering over his location as he drove. In a uh, close encounters from the third kind fashion, his car's radio started blaring this static noise uncontrollably. He was like trying to turn off the radio and do something about it, but nothing would work. He couldn't turn down the volume. The whole thing just had a mind of its own. And then suddenly, out of this white noise that was blaring in his ears, he claimed he could hear this growly voice coming through that spoke his name three times. Now, Andrew was understandably freaked out at that point, and so he pulled onto another road to head away from the area, but just then, the plane bomber noise began again right above his car, and then he sees these three red lights in the distance traveling at a high rate of speed through the sky, and then they begin to approach his vehicle and fire this bright beam of light at him before disappearing from view. And after what seemed like a few minutes, Andrew looked at his car's clock, which now read 2.15 in the morning, so somehow it was five hours later. In the meantime, when Andrew hadn't returned home yet, his wife had contacted the authorities, fearing that something had happened. It seems to be another classic case of missing time that's so often associated with events like these. But unfortunately, there isn't much more information that I could find on this particular case, except for a news article talking about a similar UFO sighting with three red lights that appeared over Canuck Chase in 2015 that local residents claimed shook their homes. 
now, it's possible that one was just a plane or maybe this was the same thing that this Andrew guy dealt with 13 years prior. OK, now let's get into some of the more paranormal entity type stories. So since the 1980s, the Canuck Chase has also been host to a number of sightings of this entity that people are calling the Black Eyed Girl. And it's not too dissimilar from Black Eyed Kids back in America. So one of the harrowing tales of this phenomenon begins with a group of teenage girls who were in the chase one evening around 9.45 p.m. In the distance, they could hear this blood-curdling scream that began to pierce through the woods, and it sounded like a young girl was in trouble. So one of the teenagers took off, determined to help this voice that she assumed was a child in need of help. The teen girl, in her haste, tripped and fell, injuring one of her feet quite badly, but the adrenaline was coursing through her veins, and she got right back up, and despite the pain, she continued to sprint to the source of sound. Now, as she ran further into the forest, apparently darkness began to consume her surroundings. There was just no light coming in from the night sky or the moon or anything like that. And she could still hear the sound of this little girl screaming, help, mommy, help. And as she rounded a corner in the forest, the figure that was making the noise finally came into view. So it appeared like it was this six-year-old girl in a white dress, big red flag, <laughs> and she was running away from the teen and appeared to be in no immediate danger. So the teenager yelled out asking this young child if she was okay uh, with it, the child's back turned to her, and the little girl stopped and turned around, revealing this horrific, uncanny valley face, <laughs> whatever this thing was. Uh, it apparently had completely black eyes, and it looked at the teen just blankly, and then continued on her path into the forest until she was out of sight. So afterwards, the teen girls, when once they uh, got back home, they alerted the authorities, who wound up sending out a search team. But even with a team of dogs sniffing at the scene, there was no sign of a child in the forest that night. And this story apparently isn't unique. There have been several similar sightings over the years in the Canuck Chase. In 2015, the YouTube channel Furious Otter was flying a drone around the chase and caught something really strange on the drone camera that could potentially corroborate these stories of like a figure in a white dress. So... The drone was flying over the tree line at the edge of the forest and saw what appeared to be this white figure standing like just on the edge of a of the tree line in front of a clear cut section of woods. And they decided to take the drone in for a closer view to see, like, what was this? Was this just an object? Was this a person? And they're getting closer and there's literally a person a figure that looks like it has long hair that's wearing a white dress and it's just standing there. And I think it, it sees the drone and kind of like tries to cover up its face or something like that. In the video, it definitely isn't a young girl. It seems like this is an adult person who's like pretty tall 
Uh, maybe it was just somebody walking around or playing a prank, or maybe the whole thing was done by this channel to make it go viral and it was just a hoax. But but it is some pretty creepy footage nonetheless. I'll make sure to leave a link in the show notes so you can all take a look and, and judge for yourselves. Now, the last thing that I want to talk about for this forest is cryptids, which uh, this place has no shortage of from tales of werewolves to phantom or alien big cats and even hellhounds. And the one I wanted to talk about briefly is the pig man. And this is a local urban legend about this half man, half swine hybrid cryptid that apparently was created by a military experiment that went horribly wrong. Stories of this thing seem to have originated like in the 1940s where people began reporting seeing this strange and terrifying creature. According to the legend, its squeals can be heard echoing through the woods at dusk sometimes. One supposed witness that brought this story uh, to the researcher Lee Brickley, who claims to receive regular witness testimony on the pig man, uh, he received this story from a man that was claiming to have been walking through the chase one day with his wife when he saw this figure in the distance kneeling in the dirt. He said it looked like a man who was wearing something like a business suit. It had on trousers and was wearing a blazer, although it appeared to not have any kind of button-down shirt or anything under his blazer. Um, Now, when the man caught a glimpse of this apparent person's face, he said it wasn't right. It had like a, a snout like a pig and generally just seemed deformed and was far too large to be a human. He estimated that this creature must have been at least seven feet tall. And when he pointed it out to his wife, she understandably got scared and they decided to get back into their car as soon as possible. And as they left the area, they could hear this high-pitched squealing noise in the distance. I'm sure they were relieved to get out of there because who knows what this pigman creature would have done. And even if this was a guy dressed up or something to mess with people, it's probably equally as terrifying because who knows what they would do. Now, according to Lee Brickley, it seems that the story of the pigman may have been made up by the military to keep the public away from sensitive wartime military installations nearby. However, uh, any of the nearby bases to Canuck Chase were built during World War One and not used during the Second World War when uh, sightings of the Pigman started. So if the Pigman came into being in the 1940s, you got to wonder <laughs> what's going on there. There seems to be a little bit of a discrepancy. But Lee Brickley claims to receive reports of sightings regularly, at least a few years ago he did. So it makes you wonder if uh, there might be something to this legend after all. And I'm going to leave the Canuck chase with this old miner's rhyme that I found. When night falls, enter the woods at your peril, for inside lurks something worse than the devil. Avoid at all costs the gathering place, where at midnight the pigman roams on Canuck chase. Before I dive into the next forest, I want to give a quick content warning to listeners out there that I'll be talking about the topics of suicide and self-harm. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. And if you struggle with those kinds of thoughts, 
just know that there are resources out there available 24-7 to help and that someone will be able to speak with you wherever you are out there if you're in need. The next haunted forest I want to talk about is the Aokigahara Forest in Japan, which is located on the northwestern base of Mount Fuji. This place is also known as Jukai or the Sea of Trees, and for good reason. This forest is extremely dense and hard to traverse. This is the result of a volcanic eruption that happened some 1,200 years ago, which led to the area having very fertile soil. And this place even has this natural ice cave within the forest, and it stays frozen all year round, which is a really cool feature. And the forest is also notably very quiet, and the only noise that you really can hear when you're out there is the sound of your own breath or the sound of leaves crunching beneath your feet. There really aren't a lot of animals to make noise out there. So it's definitely very unique. By all rights, this place seems like a calm and tranquil place, minus the looming volcano, of course. Uh, but it could be somewhere you could go camping and get some awesome nature photos while you're out there. However, there is a much darker side to this forest, which has earned it the nickname the Suicide Forest. And I'm sure you can guess why. If you were to go to this forest, you'll find that there are signs installed on all the entrances and paths into the forest to dissuade people from going in there. Some say things like, your life is a precious gift from your parents. And this is because since at least the 1950s, hundreds of people go into the Aoki Gahara with the intention of never coming back out. And unfortunately, these warnings don't always cause determined people to change their minds. And because it's so dense with vegetation, it's hard to know the exact amount of people who go in there to end their lives. In 2003 alone, 105 bodies were found in the forest that had died from suicide. And after the global recession in 2008, the number of people going in there to end it all started to have a concerning uptick. However, in recent years, the authorities have stopped publishing the exact numbers to keep it from becoming a more popular place to die, as it's already taken the second place in the world for that, the first being the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, if you do trek into this forest, and I'm suggesting that you don't actually go there, uh, let's be clear, you'll find things like suicide notes tacked onto trees, or people's belongings like backpacks, shoes, clothing, and even electronics that have long since lost their charge. The further in the forest you go, any sign of human activity becomes almost impossible to find due to the forest and the wildlife that can be found there, scattering remains and swallowing up the evidence. It's been reported by people who venture deep into the Aokigahara that they begin to feel claustrophobic and also like someone or something is watching them. It's also incredibly easy to get lost in there, which makes it all the more difficult for search teams to recover people if they even do at all. Among other aspects of high strangeness, people have reported compasses and GPS behaving strangely in this area, but this seems to be explained due to there being high concentration of iron deposits in the soil, 
around the base of Mount Fuji from previous volcanic eruptions. So to combat the magnetic anomalies, people will often use tape or string to mark the path that they take through the forest if they're just visiting uh, so that they know how to get out. According to some stories, every once in a while, people will trek out into the forest and when they're making their way out, they find that their tape has been cut, leaving them lost in the woods. Now, that's a definitely a kind of a freaky thought on top of everything else, right? Maybe there's somebody hiding out there up to no good, or maybe there's something far more sinister. Now, it should come as no surprise, but due to the macabre nature of this place, it's reportedly very much haunted by angry spirits. And in Japan, these are known as the Urei. In life, these entities were elderly people whose families couldn't support them, and they would ultimately be abandoned in this forest during times of hardship and famine. And to make matters worse, these spirits aren't able to pass on to the afterlife and are instead trapped in the forest for eternity. Interestingly, in Japan, ghosts aren't necessarily thought to always invoke fear in people, although there are some that do. Uh, there are also alternate versions of these apparitions that could be viewed as sad or pathetic depending on what their station was during their lives. So the descriptions of Yurei came around during Japan's Edo period, and they're typically seen wearing white clothing or some kind of burial kimono, and they have black disheveled hair, and their hands kind of dangle lifelessly from their wrists, and they have their elbows kind of pinned at their torso. Uh, so these spirits also seem to lack legs and feet, and they'll appear like they're floating in the air. And this is the way a lot of art of Yurei is depicted. Uh, and it's also interesting because frequently these things are depicted as being accompanied by orbs of light, kind of like the spook lights or will-o'-the-wisp. And if you haven't checked out my episode from last season all about spook lights definitely listen to that one next <laughs> now a piece of interesting lore that i learned about from this was when forestry workers are called in to remove a body there's a special room designated to put that body and according to japanese mythology a corpse shouldn't be left to rest alone after it dies so a worker will spend a night with this body the idea is that the Suicide is already considered bad luck for the spirit of the victim, and if they're left alone, they'll become unsettled, and their bodies will scream throughout the night, and more disturbingly is that it's said that the lifeless body of the victim will get up and move itself and try to find a normal place to sleep. It's pretty intense. Now, according to this guy, Rob Gilhuli, who is a writer for the Japan Times, he had visited the forest to explore, uh, and out of nowhere, he heard this blood-curdling scream off in the distance. So initially, he thought it was someone living and in trouble. Uh, so he worked his way through the forest to the location of the sound, and when he arrived, he expected to see somebody living who was hurt and in need of help, but instead, he found the body of 
a person who had taken their lives and they were dead for some time, at least several weeks, which was evident by the state of the decay that the body was in. So perhaps this person, whoever they were, became one of these Yurei spirits and was forever cursed to wander the earthen plain with its unfinished business. And Gilhuli's case isn't unique. Many people with a macabre curiosity who have been brave enough to venture into this forest have reported uh, hearing similar disembodied screams. Now, if we're talking about ghosts, there have been reports of people citing strange apparitions as well. Usually it seems that the witness will report seeing this kind of weird white smoky form that appears and moves around uh, seemingly with intelligence, and then it will kind of just fade out and disappear. So to add to the strangeness of that, this tends to happen when weather conditions are nice and clear and there's no fog or precipitation that could account for this phenomena. It's just good weather. (laughs) So perhaps these could be spirits of the dead. Interestingly, back in, I think it was like 2008, on the Sci-Fi Channel, Destination Truth went out to the Okikahara and conducted an investigation of the forest and actually caught what appeared to be one of these smoke-like apparitions appearing and disappearing on camera. Now, maybe it's just a, an unexplained uh, atmospheric phenomenon, but it is pretty interesting. Obviously, it's a TV show made for entertainment purposes. And there's a lot that goes into making drama for these kinds of shows. So take that with a grain of salt. But it is pretty interesting that they actually managed to capture something that a lot of people have reported over the years on camera. And I'm also not quite sure how exactly that could be uh, faked. (laughs) But I'll try to find a clip of it and link it in the show notes. And one more piece of the story here is that according to... Japanese folklore, Yeoki Gahara is also the home of the Tengu, which belongs to the class of supernatural god entities known as the Yokai, which uh, can sometimes be malevolent tricksters. And the name Tengu translates to heavenly dog or heavenly sentinel. And the Tengu are usually depicted as looking kind of like a bird of prey with human or monkey characteristics, and one of the more popular depictions of them shows them having a red face with a very long nose. In Buddhism, the Tengu are considered demons and harbingers of war, so it's thought that these entities might torment visitors, or they lure people in who are in distressed states, and so they'll walk off any path that's safe, and then they get lost in the forest and meet their end. So it seems that there is a lot of strangeness and tragedy that happens in this forest in Japan, and it would be hard-pressed to say that there isn't anything supernatural or paranormal happening here. There is uh, a lot of folklore surrounding it and a lot of eyewitness accounts of strange happenings uh, beyond the, the suicide aspect, but... It is, uh, it's definitely a very haunting story, for sure. Now, the final forest on this list today is kind of the granddaddy of all spooky forests. We're going to travel to Romania, 
which is said to have one of the most haunted and paranormal forests in the entire world, if not the most haunted, which is a place called the Hoyabachu Forest. Some people refer to this place as the Bermuda Triangle of Transylvania because of all the weird stuff that happens there. So this forest is located in the northwestern part of Romania, which can be found just west of the city of Cluj-Napoca. The other forests on this list have been decent sized, but this one is kind of small. It's only a square mile in size, but don't let its diminutive size fool you. Many who have visited this place have reported a sudden and overwhelming wave of anxiety, nausea, panic attacks, migraines, strange pains, unexplained rashes, and a feeling that you're being watched by some unknown and invisible force. Perhaps more disturbing are reports of people getting amnesia, having instances of missing time, feeling stalked by some evil creature, and then coming out with mysterious and severe burns or scratches on their bodies. This place is also reported to have anomalies surrounding electronics not functioning properly, like you could go in there with a brand new video camera on full batteries or a cell phone that's fully charged and it would die out of nowhere. And those who do manage to snap a few images before the technology uh, fails seem to capture things that can't be seen by the naked eye, like orbs or ominous shadow figures. And it's said that many of the people who live near this forest refuse to go in there, or if they do, they won't stay after dark. Another weird thing about this forest is that some of the trees have grown in a strange, almost zigzag-like pattern, and the trunks of these trees appear to be black and charred. This could have been done by humans, I think, or maybe there's some kind of fungus that's causing that burned effect uh, and humans could definitely shape the trees and bend them that way kind of like a bonsai tree i would think uh, there's not anything necessarily paranormal about the way the trees are it's just a weird feature of the place there is however this well-known photo that's often used to show these trees on blogs where the trunks of the trees in it are curved and this isn't actually in Hoyabachu it's in a forest in Poland so if you run across that that's uh that's where that one actually is I'll try to link a, a a legit photo of it but if you look on Google Earth you'll see that the photo that they say is this forest is um not the same one as what's shown on Google Earth so again, TV shows like Destination Truth and even Ghost Adventures have gone out to this forest to conduct investigations, and they've wound up catching interesting things like orbs on camera, which I think the debate is uh, for orbs is, is interesting a lot of the times. I think it's just dust, but you know, maybe, maybe some of them are legit, hard to tell sometimes but on uh you know josh gates show destination truth one of the team members is doing an evp session and gets violently pushed down in his chair and dragged a few feet away by some invisible force i remember watching this episode and being like whoa <laughs> uh and when they reviewed the footage it appeared like a small orb had appeared right over his shoulder before the event happened and this guy apparently was pretty disoriented and he had scratches all over his arms and 
was generally roughed up from the experience. And then right after that, another team member apparently fell ill. So the investigation was ended over safety concerns. But again, you know, TV shows might not be the best source of legit info a lot of the times. I love me some Josh Gates, but (laughs) you got to consider that there's producers and TV executives that want to make something that's dramatic and sells to get views, right? Uh, So that's something to keep in, in mind when you're viewing that kind of stuff. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's nothing happening in this forest. So another aspect to Hoyabachu is missing people. David Pilates would probably have a missing 411 field day with this place if he hasn't already. According to locals, an upwards of a thousand people have disappeared in this forest over the years. And when a missing person is found or or reappears, the whole thing is just surrounded by high strangeness. There's this one urban legend in the farming communities around there uh, that some time ago, a local shepherd disappeared with a flock of 200 sheep and never returned. And if that's true, that's definitely pretty weird. Like, you don't just miss, uh, like, lose a shepherd and his entire flock. Like, where would they go? Even if the shepherd blinked out of existence or whatever is happening there, surely a sheep or two could have escaped that i don't i don't know it's uh i think best to take that story with a grain of salt but it's uh that would be probably one of the more wild disappearance cases i would think out there and one of the weirder alleged missing persons cases involved the disappearance of a little girl who was with her family in the hoyabachu forest one day and she wandered off and i say alleged because There's no documentation corroborating this story, so it's like the sheep herder, likely just an urban legend, but you'll find the story listed on a lot of different blogs and even in Zachary Knoll's book. So when the family realized that their little girl had gone, they couldn't find her anywhere, of course, and it was presumed that she was dead. And then the impossible happened five years later. Pretty much to the day, this little girl reappeared and not remembering where she was. And she didn't look like she had aged a day and was apparently wearing the same clothes as the day she vanished that didn't look like they had any wear on them. So it's like she went through some kind of time warp or some force plucked her out of the reality and popped her back in uh, and Interestingly, stories like that aren't too uncommon for some of the weirder uh, missing 411 cases where people will go missing and wind up in places they couldn't get to or they reappear, kind of like the case of Stephen Kubacki who disappeared on Lake Michigan and his family thought he was dead and then he showed up a year later on his dad's front steps. Totally weird. Uh, So maybe there could be some kernel of truth to this story after all. Hard to say. Now, all of this paranormal activity is creepy enough, right? Well, there's still more things that happen here that seem to defy conventional explanation. Beyond just a general uneasiness that people report in this area, along with missing persons since at least the late 1960s, this place has become somewhat of a UFO hotspot as well. In 1968, a biologist named Alexandru Sift was in the forest one day to study the strange happenings that 
that have been reported there. And he actually witnessed a disc-shaped UFO hovering over a meadow in the forest. He managed to take several photos of this thing, which I'll link into the show notes. And a little later, a ex-military construction technician named Emil Barnea was going for a walk with his girlfriend and some close friends on August 18th, 1968. And so they're walking through the forest. The skies are clear that day. And uh, after hiking for a little bit, the group decided they were going to stop and eat their lunch in a clearing in the forest around one o'clock in the afternoon. Now, Emil went out to find some wood so they could build a quick fire, but he had heard his girlfriend calling for him to come back and check out something weird that she was looking at. When he returned, he could see what had intrigued his girlfriend. It was an apparent disc-shaped craft moving slow and silently over the clearing. And this thing looked metallic and reflected the sunlight. And Emil remembered that he had brought a camera and quickly ran to his bag to retrieve it. He got it set up and snapped a picture of this UFO. And since it was moving so slow, he managed to take a second shot. And almost like it realized that it was being photographed, this object began to accelerate. And it was going higher in elevation and away from the clearing. Now, Emil managed to capture two more pictures of this thing before it quickly disappeared from view. To this day, the second photo that he took is considered to be one of the clearest UFO photos ever taken. Now, throughout the 1970s, the UFO activity here has increased as more and more people began reporting strange balls of light in or around the forest and even UFO-type craft hovering above it. Only 20 years ago, in 2002, some residents from nearby Cluj-Napoca were outside of their apartment building one day and caught this cigar-shaped craft on video some 50 meters long hovering over the forest until it moved and disappeared behind some clouds. And with all this UFO activity and corroborating missing persons reports, some have suggested that alien abduction could be at play here. Definitely interesting to think about. Now, this meadow is one of the weirder features in the forest and is known simply as the clearing. It's uh, similar to the devil's tramping grounds in a way. And for some reason... Uh, within this 40 to 43 meter wide circular clearing, no trees grow there. And it's apparently baffled scientists, tourists, and locals for years as to why nothing really grows in this one patch of forest except for grass. Some who have conducted investigations and research into the clearing have found that there's no difference in the soil in there versus other parts of the forest. But it seems that there is some anomalous electromagnetic activity happening there that's found when devices monitoring for radioactivity, microwave radiation, and infrared seem to go haywire. And some believe this area is the source of all the paranormal activity and high strangeness that you can find in Hoyabachu. So what's going on here? Some speculate that there could be some kind of alien base hidden under the forest, uh, there's also this idea that something in the earth there is creating infrasound vibrations, which 
are these ultra low frequencies we can't hear that can mess with people's cognitive state. It's one of the theories uh, as to why the Dyatlov Pass incident happened in Russia back in the 1950s. These sound waves are said to be able to cause people to experience uneasiness, nausea, physical discomfort and anxiety, and even auditory and visual hallucinations. And that could very well explain a lot of what happens in the forest, but not everything. And then some people think that there could be uh, a remnant of uh, some high technology from an as-yet-discovered, highly advanced ancient civilization like Atlantis, for example. <laughs> um, now, I'm going to get a little woo for a minute. Uh, so there's this... Um, this author, spiritual teacher that I found out about during my research for this episode named Douglas James Cottrell, and he considers himself a clairvoyant, kind of like an Edgar Casey type, and does these quantum meditation trance sessions. And during one of them, he was asked about the high strangeness in the Hoyabachi forest. And according to Cottrell, the area underneath the clearing seems to contain this energy crystal or pylon left over from an antediluvian time. So pre-flood, pre-10,000 BC. Now, this crystal is supposedly a piezoelectric generator that will still flip on and off at random. And this disturbance is why no trees will grow there and why there's this strange phenomena happening all over the forest and at higher concentrations within the clearing. There certainly seems to be something very unusual happening in Hoyabachi Forest and many other window area-like forests in places around the world. Perhaps it's just wild imagination and urban legend, or maybe these are places that butt up against another dimension that sometimes crosses over. And that, my friends, is where I'm going to leave it for today. I definitely want to talk about more haunted forests and places like that again in the future because there are so many of them and there's a lot of interesting lore and high strangeness. So maybe the more research I do, we'll try to get to the bottom of what's going on in these window areas. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this spooktacular episode today. Definitely need to uh, plan some more paranormal story episodes in the future. Uh, and if you know of any other weird places in the world that you'd like to hear about or have had eerie experiences in your local forests, I'd love to hear about it. My DMs are always open on Instagram or you can shoot me an email at info at strangeology.com. As always, thank you so much for listening to the episode today, wherever you are. This show wouldn't be possible without the support of listeners like you. Anytime you download the show and share it with friends and family, it helps me out so much. I've been getting a lot of nice feedback from folks out there who have been listening to my show lately. A lot of new listeners, too. Uh, so I must be doing something right. <laughs> I really appreciate all the kind words for sure. To any advertisers or companies out there looking to collaborate with the Strangeology podcast, please send all business inquiries to info at strangeology.com. I'd love to chat with you. 
And if you're looking for a way to support the show and my content creation, the best place to do so is to head on over to patreon.com forward slash strangeology. I've got six different tiers with all increasingly awesome and cool benefits. Some of the perks that members get are shout outs, merch discounts, exclusive merch, early access to episodes, access to Strangeology Beyond, the members only portion of the show. There's even a t-shirt of the month club where you get a new home state cryptid design from my merch shop on a t-shirt every month. And I'd like to welcome aboard Kristen Silas and Texas Pat, the newest members of the Strangeology Patreon. Welcome aboard. So thank you all so much for your continued support and for helping to keep the lights on at Strangeology. I couldn't do this without you. And just one more time, if you want to learn more about becoming a member, head on over to patreon.com forward slash strangeology. You can also support the show by heading over to strangeology.etsy.com. This is my one-stop shop for all things weird and Fortean. I've got a bunch of cryptid designs, UFO designs, and that kind of stuff that you can pick up on t-shirts and tank tops. And since colder weather is coming... At least in my part of the world, there are also long sleeves, sweatshirts, and hoodies available. I even have some pattern designs on fleece blankets, which is fun if you want to cozy up this winter. I recently added back in my ugly Christmas cryptid sweaters for the upcoming holiday season, so definitely check those out if you haven't yet and you're new to the show or my shop. The most popular one is probably the Mothman, uh, Mary Mothmas design. Uh, And I'm planning on adding at least one new sweater design for this year. So stay tuned for that. I also have stickers, posters, pins, my homestake cryptid map, of course. And I'm always working on adding more to the shop as time goes on. So if you like cryptid, UFO and 40 and gear, definitely check it out. Again, that's strangeology.etsy.com. And finally, make sure to visit my website, strangeology.com, to check out my blog and sign up for my newsletter. And also make sure to follow me on all of my social media accounts for more short-form content, giveaways, and all that stuff. You'll mainly find me posting on Instagram, of course, but you can also find me on all the other major platforms. Everything will be linked in the show notes. All right. I think that's all from me for now. We're going to take a quick break. And when I come back for Strangeology Beyond, we're going to switch gears from haunted forests to haunted hotels. Patrons stick with me and for everyone else until next season, take care of yourselves and each other and keep it strange.
All right, welcome back to Strangeology Beyond, everybody. Uh, so I hope you enjoy the story.